Step 12 suggests that we practice these principles in all our affairs. What does this mean to you, and how do you get it? How do you do it? Welcome to episode 365 of The Recovery Show, which aside here just uh, means that if you listen to one episode a day, you've got a whole year's worth now. Hey. Yeah, how about that, huh? This episode is brought to you by Cecilia, Mary, Alexis, Mallory, Carol, Dillette, and Darby. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Cecilia, Mary, Alexis, Mallory, Carol, Dillette, and Darby for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today, and joining me today is Eric. Welcome back to The Recovery Show, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. Greetings from a little drizzly Sunday morning in Greenwich, Connecticut. Oh, okay. You got our weather from yesterday. Yeah, a little moist out there, but we're going to have a good day regardless. Open with a reading. This is from the book, How Elanon Works. It's in the chapter on the 12 steps and the section about step 12, of course. And that is chapter 8, if you're looking in the book. Most of us came to Elanon to cope with a specific alcohol-related problem. When we first learned a new Al-Anon principle or practice, we immediately applied it to that most troubling area of our lives. But as we recover, as alcoholism and its effects no longer dominate our thoughts, we find that these spiritual principles apply not only to alcoholic situations, but to all aspects of our lives. An Al-Anon slogan can help to resolve a conflict with a coworker. A step may clarify what actions we need to take in a legal dispute or may identify a long-buried desire and make it possible to achieve. A tradition can guide us in establishing household rules or running a business meeting. In Elanon's book, In All Our Affairs, members from all over the world speak of the many difficult situations that often accompany alcoholic relationships. Infidelity, financial problems, physical and sexual abuse, divorce, and other challenges and the Al-Anon principles that help them to cope. Al-Anon offers us so much more than a handful of problem-solving techniques for dealing with alcoholic relationships. In time, we also discover principles that can guide us through uncertainty and open doors to opportunities we never dreamed of. Our futures are unwritten books. With the help of the 12 steps and the other Al-Anon principles, we fill those pages with a life that is rich in love, constructive action, and spiritual well-being. Key word here is principle. Of course, we're going to start with a definition. Uh, you want to share the definitions you found with us? Sure. I got this principle definition, a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. What that tells me is the change in lifestyle. Really, what this program for me has been is about finding that. Finding a fundamental truth at a foundation, because my foundation was rocked and my behavior was not always sane and reasonable. So pretty good one. I'll repeat it. A fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior 
or for a chain of reasoning. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. The one that jumps out for me in this definition is behavior. Yeah, behavior. Because we're using those principles in changing our behavior. The other two, at least for me, don't fit so well. A system of belief. I would not call Ellen Recovery a system of belief. I really wouldn't. Because each of us comes to it and finds our own things that we believe in. In particular, I think about the God as we understood him part of the steps. But behavior is clearly happening here. For me, the whole notion of in all our affairs, practicing these principles, Mm -hmm. what are these principles? And what it kind of means to me is a change in behavior from what was irrational, irritable, unreasonable, to saying mindful, kind, and compassionate. If I could just do that, that for me sums up my program. In all my affairs, I would like to behave in a mindful way, in a kind way, and in a compassionate and sane way. So there's a little, just off the top of my head, summary of what this means to carry these principles outside the rooms and into traffic. How about that? (laughs) Yes, carry them out of the rooms and into traffic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those places where I might have to change existing behavior if I want to live in accordance with the the principles. Rules of the road. Yeah. yeah. Rules of the road for life. How about yeah. That? Rules of the road for life. Yeah. The question immediately arises for at least some of us. What do you mean these principles? I was working from the book Paths to Recovery. It has a bunch of questions at the end of each chapter. And I thought there was a question about what are these principles? The only question that that, that I find that, that comes close to them is how can I practice these principles in my financial affairs? And I wrote honesty and openness. And those are definitely principles of the program. You may have heard the, uh, the acronym HOW, which is honest, open, and willing. So honesty and openness and willingness are definitely principles. You found a link to a page that has OA principles related to the steps, the traditions, and the concepts of Overeaters Anonymous. I found a list of AA principles that apparently came from the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, or commonly known as The 12 and 12. I actually was looking in that book, and I can't find this list in there explicitly, but I have heard these before in other contexts. So I'm just going to read these out, and then we can talk about where they might, how those fit for us, perhaps. So for the 12 steps, the principle they list for the first step is honesty, fairness and straightforwardness of conduct, adherence to the facts. And I think the idea there is that in order to really practice step one, you have to be honest about yourself, about your situation, honest that for AA you're an alcoholic and that your life is unmanageable. Step two is hope, which definitely I connect right to that one. Step two says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's hope. Step three, faith, made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood God. You got to have confidence, belief, and trust that, in fact, by doing that, things are going to get better, right? So you place some faith in a power greater than yourself. Step four, courage. Oh, man. Yeah, it takes a little bit of courage to step into that searching and fearless moral inventory. 
Step five, integrity, which is here the quality or state of being complete or undivided. This is about admitting the exact nature of your wrongs to God, to yourself, and to another human being. That's, if you can actually do that, and I will say for me, it took a few attempts to, I think, admit all of them, that leads to integrity. Or it's it's a, a symbol of a sign of integrity, something like that. Step six, willingness. What is step six? Became entirely ready to have God remove all our defects of character, something like that. That's all about willingness. Step seven, humility. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive, a clear and concise understanding of what we are, followed by a sincere desire to become what we can be. Great principle there. Step eight, list love. Step eight is about listing the people we have harmed. Interesting, but okay. Step nine, discipline. That's about actually making amends, and that can take a lot of discipline for some of us to to go through that whole list and, and make amends. Step 10, patience or perseverance. Step 10 is continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Yep, that's continuing uh, steadfast despite opposition or adversity, able or willing to bear to persist in an understanding in spite of counter-influences. Yeah, my counter-influence is, I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. You know, like, 11, awareness, sure enough, continued through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So becoming aware, more aware of that. And step 12, service, because... In there, we carry the message to others, which is really, I think, the central principle of step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So, yeah, how do you see those working for you? There's a ton of stuff in there. There could be an episode in every one of these, and there probably has been one way or another. Could be. Good Lord. It was interesting when I was uh, schmoogling around and trying to find the principles of our there isn't such a list that I could find. Yeah, maybe um, somebody knows of one and could share it. I, I I wasn't able to find it. AA right away. OA right away. I don't know about NA, but probably. I look for pocket change. I don't yep. want to have to remember a chapter. When I come faced with something that's a trigger, I don't want to have to remember even a step. I, I want to remember hope or I want to remember courage mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. humility mm-hmm. or discipline. Just a word, just a coin in my pocket. So these are really good. If you were, when anyone looks on the, the notes for today, you'll notice every one of these, the first word is in all caps. And I need stuff in all caps, man. I need my my, my coins in all caps. How? Honest, open, willing. That's enough. That's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really good summary of 12 coins I can carry in my pocket. Be honest. Be hopeful. Faith. Courage, integrity, willingness, humility, love, discipline, patience and perseverance, awareness and service. Man, if I could carry those, I got a great chance of getting through traffic today with no matter what happens. Who cuts me off? Who swerves in front of me? Who doesn't uh, drive fast enough? Because when I'm late, everybody's driving too slow. If I can just pull one of these out of my pocket, I'm likely to have a really uh, better experience if I ever jotted down courage jumped out at me courage to be aware enough to doesn't find the courage to use the tools mm. that to me is, is that mm-hmm. defines 
courage to someone shared this in a meeting last, and it sort of sums up like uh, a good little phrase about where I'm at. She said that in the beginning of her journey, she found her voice. Now, in this stage of her recovery, she's learning to use it. That takes courage, not to react, to pick a tool and not jump into the forest fire with a blowtorch. So, yeah, discipline, principle, patience, perseverance. Those phrases, would you rather be right or happy, come to mind. The statement, I don't have to win anything today, comes to mind. How important is it comes to mind. Again, the point being, in all our affairs, not just in the rooms. Yeah. In life is what we're, yeah. what we're going to, what I'm going to these meetings and rooms and readings for. is not to use it while I'm in the room. That's easy. Use it when I walk out the door. Okay. Yeah. Into uh, traffic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or or into Dunkin' Donuts, into a line. Yeah. You ever ever stood at the line of the DMV? Boy, you need a lot of pocket change to get through that two hours. (laughs) (laughs) And I I thought a great example was the other day, when you get a sales call from somebody wanting to sell you chimney cleaning, okay, we all get them, or solar panels, right? The temptation is, hang up without saying a word, or, or just say, stop calling Get be angry. And uh, there's a little test. I've tried hard to say, you know what? Thank you so much for the call. I don't own my home. I don't have a chimney, but have the day. <laughs> you know? <sighs> okay. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Anyway, yeah. So good list. we also have a link to another, like a blog post or something Spiritual Principles of Recovery 12 Ways You Can Practice Them Every Day. And I will put Good. that link in the show notes, therecovery.show slash 365. And it's a similar list, except their first one is acceptance, which says multiple times throughout the day, things may not go as planned. Practice acceptance when you've just missed the bus for work or when they run out of coffee in the office. Acceptance is by far one of the most useful principles to practice. And if anybody uh, has been listening to this podcast for a little while, you'll hear me talk about acceptance. All the time, because to me, that is one of the most useful principles, one of the most useful tools in practicing in, in my life, because, and I had a question here, like, why is it important to practice these principles? Because when I don't practice acceptance, I get frustrated, I get angry, I get resentful, and I don't enjoy life at the moment when I can have acceptance, I might not be enjoying life, but at least I'm not being as negative and I'm not riling myself up. And as I've said many times, practicing acceptance of the things that I cannot change helps me to see what the things that I can change are and helps me to still have the energy to do something about them. So why is it important? Because I live a better life when I practice these principles. Okay. One of our, one of our callers, and actually this might be a good time to, to bring her in. This is Karen and she left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Karen and I'm calling to speak on the topic of in all our affairs. I just wanted to share that for me, that means I practice the principle of the Al-Anon program in all my affairs and practice is really the word that speaks to me because it means we don't have to be perfect and we practice and there's never a 
finishing of the practicing. And, and this is why we go through the steps more than once. Why we continue to go to meetings and reflect on readings and listen to shares and share all in this effort to continue practicing. What that's brought me is just a sense of grace around how I move through different spaces, including work, personal life, friendships. And it gives me a little bit of gentleness around when I feel like I could have done something better. I love being able to apply the steps, especially the slogans to all of my affairs. The slogans just come really easily. Sometimes they're the only thing that's between me and taking in a rational action. An example of that is, seems like a really minor example, but it sticks in my mind after years and years. This is some years ago this happened, but I was at a movie theater and I had arrived early to get a seat. My preferred position is on the aisle. I used to go to movies a lot when I was living with a previous qualifier. That was my means of escape. I really enjoyed it and I made it almost like a ritual. I had gone to see a movie of opening night and the theater filled up. I had my preferred seat, all my snacks, and uh, a couple came in a minute or two after the trailers had started, and they had to sit in two different seats. There were two seats left in the theater, and I think the, there was one seat next to me. So I refused to move because I said I had gotten there early, and then a couple of minutes after the couple had seated and the movie was beginning, I just heard one of the slogans, how important is it, which in that moment, it came into my mind and I said, how important is it that I stand my ground and keep my aisle seat when this couple could be sitting comfortably together and I would be fine sitting somewhere else in the theater. I could see the screen. And so I actually got up and told the couple, apologized to them, just said I, I was having a bad day and please sit together. They were so nice about it, and the person I ended up sitting next to in the theater just tapped my arm and said, you're going to be all right. So there was just this understanding that I was having a moment, and they were just really nice about it, and I was just glad I had that Al-Anon tool in that moment to help me write a wrong that was on me that I couldn't really blame on the alcoholic in my life. So just a small little example of how I use the tool and how I practice ever try to practice the principles in all my affairs. Anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing other shares and really love the podcast. Thanks for your service, Center. Thank you, Karen, for that uh, that great example. I really love that we are practicing, right? How about you, Eric? Practice, practice, practice. Yeah, how do you get the Carnegie Hall, right? Yeah. I was just thinking, we didn't have any preparation for the show today, which actually I need help in that. I over-prepare and I need to practice imperfection. How about that? I need to practice not being completely prepared like a Boy Scout for every single thing in my life because it's impossible. That was the topic of a meeting earlier this week, wasn't it? I don't remember. What was that one? Yeah, that was... Imperfection? No, about... Yeah, I guess about, about over-preparing. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to do that and I'm trying to not do that as much in my shares uh, and just speak from the heart instead of my scribbles and notes. And for the podcast, it's one thing for our episodes. I do like to spend some time to really think about 
what I'd like to share that someone might get the most out of. In my daily meetings, which I do, I'm trying to put my pen down and just listen. And then if something strikes me like it did yesterday, it was an, a really good example, I think, of something that occurred with my daughter. And maybe now's a good time to share that. So to get too deep in um, the details, but I'll summarize to say that my daughter's mom is a cancer and it's inoperable. Every indication is, unless there's a miracle of some clinical trial, that our time is limited. And uh, it's really sad to think about. I try not to <clears throat> go there. What I, the last few episodes, or at least the last one that you and I did, was really speaking directly to that, which was about compassion. And what I didn't share, though, and I came to realization on, and I'll get to the story with my daughter in a minute. I came to this realization playing golf last weekend with my friend Andy, who's in the rooms. And it occurred to me that with all of the incredible dysfunction of a parent, which I didn't grow up with, but my daughters did, of the incredibly baffling atmosphere around a mother, father, parent that is an addict, alcoholic, and active, it's just so confusing. And this is why many of our children turn to other ways to escape, be it numbing themselves with substances, going into depression, anxiety, fear. Both of my daughters suffered, you know, severely, and both have been inpatient. So what occurred to me with cancer, they seem to be dealing with it better than I am, Spencer. I go to their mother's never going to see him graduate from college, maybe, and, and yeah. She won't be around for their, when they get married and grandchildren. So sad to think about. The difference with them is that this disease, they can understand. Yeah. This, they understand. Alcoholism, really hard for a kid to understand. Well, I used to say, you can't go to the corner and buy a bottle of cancer. It seems elective. Yes. Yeah. Alcoholism seems elective. Just stop drinking. Cancer, brain cancer. Not, not possible. Didn't bring it on herself and really nothing much to do about it. My daughters understand that. Mm -hmm. It's just so incredibly odd that just came to me. But it seems true. But back to the story from the other day, it's only been about seven or eight weeks that this diagnosis came in so severely. And she's just finishing up chemo and radiation. So the, the after effects of that are pretty severe. She ended up in the hospital. Her, the, the mom, my ex, last Wednesday, Thursday, because of extreme fatigue and body pain. So my daughter, who's been staying with her mom, she wants to be there for her to help her. She's 19 and starting to go, get ready to go back to college. So she came and spent Thursday, Friday with me, and she's looking at transferring to a school that's closer. From Instead of being so far in North Carolina's 10, 11-hour drive, she doesn't even have her driver's license. She can't drive, and getting on a plane and flying back and forth is just a long and arduous and she wants to be closer. Yeah. So she's really strongly considering changing schools. So she started her essay. She needs to do an essay about why do you want to change from where you are? And she was struggling to come up with an opening sentence. She said, dad, it has to be something really catchy. I remember in high school, my advisor said, you got to open with a strong statement. What is the point of this entire essay? And, and in this case, it's not about getting into colleges, it's changing schools. So without much thought, I simply said, how about this? 
If nothing changes, nothing changes. She went, that's it. That's it, dad. (laughs) So that's the way she's starting her new essay. And then we went through the rest of the three or four paragraphs, but that it's not a slogan. Maybe it should be. If nothing changes, nothing changes. That implies that the change that we need to make is us. My perspective, my point of view needs to change to it in order to use these principles in all my affairs. I need to change my perspective and change the way I behave. I can't, what is the phrase? I can't think my way into good acting, but I can act my way into good thinking. That came to mind this morning in a share too. Yeah. Cool story. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. She's getting some of the principles, huh? Yeah, yeah. Leading by example is one of the biggest uh, ways I practice in all my affairs. I don't react right. and listen better. Be thoughtful, be kind, be courteous, be, be empathetic, have compassion. These are the ways I, I practice now the principles mm-hmm. in all my affairs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this email from Deborah. She writes, this is a great topic. I had a recent experience with using the principles in all my affairs. For me, the principles are embodied within the steps. The principles I have tried to learn are to not be judgmental, controlling, a right fighter, a manager of others, a perfectionist, a gossip, in short, to be a better human. The steps guide me to healthy behaviors in all my affairs, to take pride in the good in my life and not dwell on the not-so-good. Last night, I had dinner with close friends whom I had not seen in a couple of years. They are part of a group who lived in my area prior to my moving to Florida. We all raised our teens together and have similar values, professions, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Our teens all went off to college within a couple of years of each other. This is where the commonality stops. To my knowledge, they do not have the disease of alcoholism in their lives. Their now adult children have graduated Ivy League universities, have wonderful careers and marriages. They are thriving. In the past, when my friends were excitedly sharing about their children's accomplishments, I would go silent, feel inadequate, and ashamed. Although most knew of my son's struggles and multiple attempts at college, they have no understanding of this disease. I was not, in the past, willing to share, attempt to explain, or justify my son's journey. I often left feeling sad and a bit jealous and angry that my son is an alcoholic. Last night was different. I listened to all the wonderful news of personal and business success of these kids whom I had the pleasure of watching grow up. I felt joy, not jealousy, for their accomplishments. I also realized that these friends will never understand the incredible journey my son has been on, that he has to fight every day for his sobriety. The fact that he is sober today, has a great career, and a lovely girlfriend is amazing. He fights a battle I will never fully understand, nor would friends outside recovery understand. I was able to share how proud I am of my son. I did not attempt to explain or justify his story, and no one asked me to. They are my friends who love me and love my son and are happy for him. To leave that dinner feeling no shame, anger, or jealousy is me practicing the principles in all my affairs. Thank God for Al-Anon and the Steps, Deborah C. in Florida. Thanks, Deborah, for that. And yeah, that is such an attitudinal shift. I know for me, there would be no way to get to that place without all of the tools, all of the principles that that I have been given, been granted here in Al-Anon. And it reminds me, of the relationship that I currently have to have with one of my children, which is to accept that he is working from a perspective that I don't share. You know, I taught the kids to 
think independently. And when they do, I'm like, what are you thinking? But I still love him. I still want to be in relationship with him. And so I need to practice things like boundaries. There's a principle for you. I need to have boundaries on the topics that we will converse about when we call on the phone. There are things that, that we can mutually explore and neither of us will get upset or angry. And there are topics that we can't. And I said that boundary for me because I know that if I go there, it will upset my serenity. It will upset my, my peace of mind and I'll get angry and frustrated. And then that, that anger and frustration will just take off running on the hamster wheel, strap on its Nikes and get going. I'm able to stay in relationship with my child by practicing these principles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a really great share, Deborah. Thank you. I was able to share how proud I am of my son. I did not attempt to explain or justify his story. No one asked me to with that. Yeah. And I wrote the acronym Jade. I I spoke about this acronym a few times. um, And one of my friends says, I'm tattooing that on my forearm. (laughs) This is justify. Don't. Don't. Justify, argue, defend, or explain. Right. Yeah. If I make a decision that I've used my tools in making, you know, that I've stopped and paused and chosen a decision, and sometimes that is to do nothing. Yep. Going back to our making decisions episode just a few weeks ago. Then I did, I, the, I really want to stay away from JD. Don't justify, argue, defend, and explain because a lot of people will come back right back at you with why, 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 why. why. And then you know what? That's my decision. That's it. Yeah. And then I don't know. After her last, I wrote yay. I don't know an acronym for that yet, but <laughs> yay, yay. <laughs> I'm working on it. Believe yeah. me, I'm working on it. Words with wise, those are tough. Yeah. yeah uh, the other thing that, that I think of with Jade is something that Shannon said in the most recent episode. She said, I've learned that no is a complete sentence. Yeah. And that goes right along with that. Yeah. So I have made a decision and I don't have to go any further than that. Yeah. And the neutral responses come to mind. I'm trying to use those a lot more. I've got to remember those. And there's a whole book on boundaries. So if you've ever seen it, and Dr. Brene Brown speaks a lot about healthy boundaries. And one of them is just, you know, that just doesn't work for me. I can't do that. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of a lighter. No, it's no light. So, you know, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. But good luck. I, I trust you to work that out. Yeah. Pretty cool. And this question, like, how have I used LN recovery principles in your life? Well, I've talked about some examples. This principle of patience and love, these two principles, showed up in my life last week. I was visiting my family of origin, which in the house that they live in is my brother and my mother. And then also my sister was joining us from time to time. She lives nearby. My mother, as I have said before, is suffering from a form of dementia doesn't really matter what kind it is, but it causes her to have very little short-term memory. She still, for example, sometimes thinks that my father's alive. He's just not in the room. And she at times gets angry. She gets very stubborn. So contrast two different days. One day, she was being very stubborn about basic things, like going to the bathroom, you know. Don't you need to go to the bathroom? You've been in bed for hours. No. You know, as we said to each other, she's got the attitude of a three-year-old at this point, and reasoning doesn't help. 
So that was one day, and that was a bad day. She was not in a good place, and in consequence, we ended up being not in a good place. And that, to me, is actually not practicing the principles of this program because I should be able to keep my equanimity, my balance, despite what other people around me are doing. But I kind of didn't. I did not get to the point of yelling, but there was there were some times. Okay, I'll just say. The next day, we had planned on going out for lunch at a restaurant and then meeting my sister later in the afternoon. Well, this was one of those days when she just didn't feel like getting up. We're supposed to go to lunch. What do we do? But following actually the the advice of one of her aides who said, if you tell her what she has to do, she'll just dig in her heels. Said, what I do is maybe make a little joke about it, maybe make it a suggestion. So instead of going in and say, you got to get up because we need to go to lunch. We said, and this was actually my brother, but I had similar things later in the day. So don't you want to get up so we can go and have lunch and then see Jean Ann? She was like, oh, okay. And then comes the patience because she's decided that this might be a good thing, but that doesn't get her out of bed. Okay. Got to do some repetition and you got to keep the same attitude, the same tone of voice, the same suggestion as you're working on, on actually getting her up, getting her in a wheelchair, dressed, etc. So then she comes out to the dining, living dining area and she's got to have her breakfast, which includes like her pills for the morning. So it's really important. It's not just food. It's no, she has to have her medications too. And at this point we're like crushing up pills and dissolving them in applesauce because she won't eat them as pills. She just, she doesn't remember how to take pills or whatever. I don't know. And you know, my mother has always been a slow eater. Now she's a really slow eater. So even though I'm getting a little bit of anxiety about we need to get going so we can get to the restaurant, so we can have lunch, so we can meet my sister and her fiance, et cetera, et cetera. I had to take a breath. Say, she is eating at the pace she's eating. And nothing I do is going to change that except maybe slow it down. So just sit there, being patient, work on a jigsaw puzzle to do a crossword, something like that. And eventually she gets to the point where she's finished all her applesauce and most of her little bowl of cereal. And, and then we're like, so would you like to go for go and get lunch and, and, and see Jeannie in this afternoon? And she's, yeah, okay. So we get her out, get her prepared, out to the car, et cetera. And then situation repeats because the restaurant we wanted to go to actually wasn't open. I think they were probably one of these places that doesn't have enough staff post-COVID. So they weren't going to open till four in the afternoon and we were there at one, but okay. Acceptance. What are the alternatives? What can we do? We found a deli. We got sandwiches and salads from this deli that were really good. We went to a park nearby on the shore of a lake, sat at a picnic table in the shade, enjoyed a nice soft breeze off the lake, enjoyed some, uh, some quiet. The beach was closed because blue green algae. So there was not like kids running around and screaming. So it was very nice. Uh, and so their acceptance and I can't change this. What can I do? The serenity prayer, right? There was a week full of trying to practice these principles in, in all our affairs. But the contrast of those two days where 
I was trying to force solutions one day, and the next day I was guiding solutions and being patient and being accepting if the solution that came was not what I had thought it would be in the first place. And I had a much better day. So yeah, practicing these principles in all my affairs just really has been important to me in in dealing with the things in my life that are not the way I want them to be, and they're not going to be the way I want them to be. They just aren't. Woof. Are you done? I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, woof means I'm done, right? No. I'm being very patient. I'm being such a good listener. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't interrupt you once. It's true. That's in all my affairs, my brother. I used to not be able to listen to anybody go for more than two sentences without my, hey, but, yeah, but what do you think about patience and tolerance? I was just writing down as you were speaking. If I add it up, all the hours that I've waited patiently in the car, not so patiently, rather, in the car for my daughters, mm-hmm. okay, to get them out the door to school, to get them to a meeting, to get to, to their doctor's appointment, I would guess 16 to 18 months. If I put all the hours that I've waited into a, a, an algorithm, I bet yeah. it would add up to about 16 to 18 months I sat waiting in the car. What I did yesterday, okay, here's a great, another great example. The more we think about these things, the more we find good examples. I went over to pick up Rudy, the dog, who's at the mom's house with my younger. I usually say I'm on my way when I'm still sitting in my house. And then I usually say I'm here when I'm about halfway there. Okay, I've learned, I'm, yeah, I've learned shortcuts around. I know if I simply arrive and say, I'm here, I'm going to be waiting. It's inevitable. And I'm 10 minutes away. So I say, I'm on my way when I'm in my chair and I'm making a cup of coffee. And so I'll be out the door in five minutes. And then halfway there, you know, with seven minutes remaining, I say, I'm here. Not exactly honest, but hey, it's a workaround. So I say, I'm here. Inevitably, I get there and the dog's not coming down. She's not come out to the, you know, street with the dog, the parking lot. I waited after saying I'm here. Yeah. I waited seven, about seven minutes and then texted, I'll be back later. That's it. That's it. I left. Mm-hmm. So it turns out she fell back asleep. Doesn't even matter. The point was I didn't get all sideways about it. Right. Well, when I used to be sitting outside with trying to get my daughters to school and waiting and pass, I'd be impatient, beep the horn, text, call, call. No, I just clean the car. My car is spotless. Yeah. Well, there's something else. Yeah. That my daughter. She'll be here when she's here. And then she'll want me to rush and speed and go people around people and beep my horn. I'm saying, no, we're late because we left late. There'll be consequences if you get to class late. Yeah. Better way to live. Doesn't get me all twisted up inside. Absolutely. We have a short email from Carol who talks about a tool that she's using. Carol writes, practicing the principles to me right now means regular study and engaging the steps. This year, I'm doing a step each month. This is my fourth year in the program, so also some extra attention on my fourth step. One simple thing I'm doing is to repeat the steps or just a single step over and over when I'm awakened at night and can't go back to sleep, which happens on the regular. This keeps me from engaging in thinking or emotions and usually puts me back to sleep without trespassing into dangerous mental neighborhoods. It's also helping me to memorize the steps. Thanks for that idea. You know, it, it is. It, when my mind is, is racing off somewhere that I feel like I can't control it, focusing on 
something, in, in your case, focusing on the steps. I've used the gratitude focus. Making a gratitude list is another focus that has helped me to get off that hamster wheel and calm my thinking so that in in this case, when I wake up and, and I can't get back to sleep, it actually, it helps a lot. So thanks for that, Carol. Eric writes, meditation. Yeah, that's <laughs> what's been my go-to for getting back to sleep. I use the Inside Timer app. Mm-hmm. And there's one particular meditation called Theta Mar, which absolutely puts me back to sleep. It, my problem is I don't always use it. It's sitting right there on my nightstand. I know if I put it on and play it, I'll get back to sleep, but I don't always do it. Tell me. I'll turn on the TV, look at my phone, and laugh. But when I put it back on, I go right back to sleep. So yeah. I need to practice that more often. Don't turn on the TV in the middle of the night. That's, of course not. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it you just know? is not going to help. It's absolutely it's not, not. going to help. Women's rhythmic gymnastics is on, Spencer. I got to catch that. Oh. <laughs> You try to watch it live on Japan time, huh? Yeah, at the 3.09 in the morning, you got to watch rhythmic swimming. Come on. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I I want to mention, although I don't have this book, I realized I don't have this book, but there's this Elanon book called In All Our Affairs, Making Crazies Work for You that was mentioned in the reading I opened with. Do you have that book, Eric? I'm going to assume that there's some good stuff in there about using al principles. Yeah, I looked through it. I didn't see specifically the things that we talk about, which is really about carrying this stuff out into the traffic jam of life. So though I think that where we uh, chose to read and pull from, I think works just fine. I want to close with, this is the last paragraph in the step 12 reading in our book, Paths to Recovery. Carrying out the actions of the 12th step renews our spirit on a daily basis. Reaching out to others helps us gain perspective on our own lives. We are encouraged by the examples of others. Everyday irritations shrink, and life's big problems seem more manageable. Practicing these principles in all of our affairs clearly demonstrates to us that the 12 steps are a way of life like no other. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about, is a new way of life. Keep trying to go away well. Yeah, I know a new way of life. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the topic idea, Eric. And it's been uh, great doing it with you today. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it was a last minute. I'm glad we did it. I, I do have another commitment that I need to get ready for. So I'm going to move on with my morning and wish you a blessed and happy day. And to everyone at the recovery show, please keep listening. Please keep coming back. All right. Thanks. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 365, is the Avett Brothers with No Hard Feelings. This song was suggested by Judy. She wrote, I recently discovered your show. It's been a real joy to listen in. I especially love the songs you add to the episodes. Music has always been a passion of mine. With so much difficulty I've had in my life trying to express myself, music has always been a way for me to channel my thoughts and feelings. This so much kept coming to my mind as I net. This so much keeps coming to my mind. No. This this keeps coming to my mind as I navigate through my steps in recovery. So much hinges on forgiveness and shifting our focus on love and the beautiful things life has to offer. I hope you enjoy it. May you be touched and warmed by its spirit. Here's some lyrics. When my body won't hold me anymore and it finally lets me free, will I be ready? 
When my feet won't walk another mile and my lips give their last kiss goodbye, my hands be steady when I lay down my fears, my hopes, and my doubts. The rings on my fingers and the keys to my house with no hard feelings. have we experienced recovery this week? And as you heard, Eric had to leave, so I'm here by myself now. I'm thinking about some recovery events during the week. I had a recent meeting where we were talking about Tradition 8 because it's August. Tradition 8 says, Al-Anon 12th step work should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. We're guiding discussion about traditions in that particular meeting out of the book Reaching for Personal Freedom, and in that book, there's a set of questions to help us understand the tradition in this case and how it applies in our lives. The question that we chose was under a section titled Making Choices. The question was, how does Tradition 8 guide me in making personal choices? The shares on that were mostly touching on the second part of that tradition where it says our service centers may employ special workers and talked about understanding when to make a choice to ask for help, to maybe hire a professional in order to do certain tasks that maybe we could do ourselves or maybe we can't do ourselves. There was some really good sharing there. I had a couple of examples that that I shared. One was about when my siblings and I recognized that it was necessary to hire outside help, special workers, if you will, to aid in the care for my parents, that my brother was not able to provide what they needed just by himself without totally destroying his life and his health, which, of course, we didn't want that to happen. But it was a decision I think that we might have actually made earlier than we did because we don't want to think, I don't want to think that I can't do something, right? That denial of the need for help, I think, can delay getting help. In this case, we were forced into it when my mother broke her leg was in a rehab center and they wouldn't let her go home without proof that there was 24 hour care for her that forced us into hiring special workers. So tradition eight gives me permission to think about that and maybe encourages me to think about, is this something I want to do myself? Is this something I can do myself? Or is this something where it's better for me to have somebody else do it? Yeah, it was a good meeting. I had some recent correspondence with a listener, which started out a little prickly, but we both used our program to come to a place where I think we both felt good about it. And there was definite program work going on both sides. Yeah, I just got a whole bunch here today. Recently, my wife basically called me to task on some of the ways that I interact with her, pointing out that it seemed like I was, we'll say nicer, maybe more attentive to other people and their needs than to hers. This is not something that's easy to hear, of course, but I recognized the truth of what she was saying. Today, I 
made the first step at choosing different behavior after asking for some help from my higher power. I was able to just naturally come out with a little piece of different behavior, which she recognized. So it's a start. And the program gives me the tools to know, A, that I can do that, and B, to help me do that. I think the last thing I want to talk about is in one of my meetings, we had decided that we were going to try meeting in person and that the technologist in our group was able to hook up our Zoom call to actually video conferencing equipment in the room we meet in, in a church. We had an in-person meeting, six of us there, and a Zoom meeting, two people on the Zoom all together. It worked after some technology issues at the beginning. The beauty of meeting there was just made so obvious to us when we had a newcomer who would not have found us on the Zoom. This newcomer found us because I was actually sitting outside the church waiting for the person with the key to show up. She came up and and asked if there was a meeting, and I said, yeah, we'll be going inside shortly. And so that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been, been there in person. But that was also the day for that meeting's group conscience meeting. The topic of discussion was, given that the rate of COVID cases is going back up in our county, were we comfortable meeting inside at this time? Those of us who were sitting there in that room, we decided that we were, as a group, not that comfortable and decided to go back to the Zoom format until the next group conscience meeting, which will be in September. I think everybody had an opportunity to voice their opinion, which aligns very nicely with all our our concepts of service about, in particular, participation is the key to harmony, and that the one about the rights of minorities, and I forget, I think that may be concept three, I don't remember the exact wording. So the next meeting, the next week, some of us went to a city park where we were able to be outside and still see each other, hear each other, with, again, some people on Zoom. There's a member of the meeting who it's very difficult for him to leave his house, and so the Zoom is definitely important for him. So yeah, recovery and using my program tools in my, all my affairs as the topic of this episode says. I'll be recording an episode next weekend with Esther on the topic of honesty. A thought question here, maybe, what does a lack of honesty with ourselves and others look like? What does the program teach us about the importance of honesty to our recovery? If you'd like to share your thoughts, your experience, strength, and hope on this topic of honesty, you can join our conversation. You can leave us a voicemail or send us an email can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You can also send a voice memo or email to feedback at therecovery.show. All of these, by the way, are on our website at therecovery.show. There's a link in the menu at the top of the page. I think it says contact, and, and it has all of the contact methods there. So the phone number, the voicemail button, the email address. We really would love to hear from you. 
If you'd like advance notice so that you can contribute, you can sign up for the mailing list by sending an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Just put email in the subject line so I can spot it easily and add you to the email list. I already talked about the website, therecovery.show. We have the notes for each episode. This one would be at therecovery.show slash 365. That includes videos for the music that we chose, links to other recovery podcasts and websites, links to the books that we read from or talked about, and the websites that we talked about. Our second musical selection is Hammer and a Nail by the Indigo Girls. This song, for me, is about taking what I have and what I know and using it, which is practicing these principles in all our affairs, right? So some lyrics here. Got to get out of bed, get a hammer and a nail, learn how to use my hands, not just my head. If I have a care in the world, I have a gift to bring. And now it's time for some listener feedback. B writes, can you recommend other sites or books for kids that are 12 and 14 that need help in understanding with biological parents that are drug addicts and or abandoning them over and over again. I don't. I hope that you might. If you're listening and you have recommendations for materials appropriate for 12 to 14-year-old tweens and young teens about drug addiction, etc., how that affects them, please write to me, call me, so that I can share that with everybody. I'm sure there are other people besides B who would like this information. I also said to B, if there's Alateen in your area and you're able to get these kids to Alateen, that could really help them feel that they're not alone, feel that other kids live in similar situations, and hear the experience of other kids who have learned ways of living, ways of coping in such a situation. Got a review on Apple Podcasts from Zebek Lady, who says, This is a lifesaver. I discovered this podcast during COVID lockdown while my loved one was experiencing a relapse. I had been away from Al-Anon for many years, and this has been a wonderful refresher. Also, a great meeting substitute. Thanks, Spencer, co-hosts, and guests. I want to say thank you, and I also want to say I really don't intend this as a substitute for a meeting. If you have a choice between listening to me and going to a meeting, between supporting the podcast and supporting a meeting, go to a meeting, support a meeting. But I'm really gratified and encouraged by the fact that what we do here helps. Nicole writes, hi, Spencer. I just finished episode 356 on domestic violence, and it truly broke me. I recognize so many of these things in my own life with my A.H., alcoholic husband? I'm not sure. I have convinced myself for so long that this is marriage. Walking on eggshells, keeping the house clean to avoid setting him off, horrific verbal abuse, and slow breaking down of self-esteem. It made me cringe and cry to admit it, and I don't think I would have without this episode. Like the guest speaker, I have young kids and constantly fear what will happen with custody if I leave. I'm in Al-Anon and trying to figure out what to do and doing the is he, isn't he with his own recovery. 
It's exhausting, but thank you for the resources. And a praying hands emoji from Nicole. Thank you for writing, Nicole. I've passed on your message to Kathy, who truly provided the guts of that episode that not an episode I could have done. My wishes to you for your recovery and whatever decisions that leads you to. Greta writes, Thank you, Spencer, for your show. I have sat on this email for a week, and today, after reading my Courage to Change Daily Reader, I'm grateful to say that I can hit send. I'm three months new to Al-Anon and recovery. I didn't even know I had an alcoholic in my life. Three months ago, while unloading groceries, I found an empty bottle of whiskey tucked behind my five-year-old car seat in my husband's truck. Within a few hours of my husband slurring words and crying and so forth, I learned I was married to an alcoholic who is now my qualifier. But as you have shared and as I have learned, I truly have been the one who has qualified me to be here. That afternoon, my mother-in-law, who lives across the street, told me about Al-Anon and said this program would help us help the alcoholic. April 23rd was my first Al-Anon Zoom meeting that I attended with my mother-in-law, where we didn't really understand the meeting format or what Al-Anon was. We both thought this was about a bunch of people sitting around talking about their sob stories and feeling sorry for one another while holding back tears. I was wrong. Today, I am three months into the program. I have a sponsor. I attend three to five meetings a week, listen to the recovery show daily, while working out, driving, walking, all the time. No, that's all period, the period, time. I have successfully completed step one, which was very difficult for me. I am working the program hard, partly because I have to, and mostly because I want to. When I say I have to, it is because I have three small children, one-and-a-half-year-old twins and a now six-year-old. I work full-time and am just at that stage of life. My husband is in active recovery, so he and I daily have the opportunity to put our programs to the test and talk through various areas that need addressing. It is exhausting, but I am starting to see bits of serenity. I appreciate hearing about how you are working through losing your dad as I too lost my mom unexpectedly a month before my twins were born, and I am just at a place of processing that now. All this said, I really enjoy listening to your show and appreciate the pause button that I can hit when I hear something that really resonates with me. One thing I notice, however, is that a lot of the guests and even folks that call in seem to have been in the program for a long time. Is there a way to have a topic or show that is for those who are newer to the program? Or maybe we could hear from folks who are newer to the program, so then in some ways the program is even more relatable or applicable to the very beginning of someone's recovery. Don't get me wrong. I love hearing the wisdom, experiences, strength, and hope from those, she says tenured, I would put that in quotes, okay, in the program. But sometimes I think if I heard from that person who is six months in or one month in, then maybe there may be something to gain from them too. Just a thought. Thanks again for your experience, strength, and hope. Very best, Greta. A lot of stuff in there. Recovery is not always easy work. It can take a lot of energy. You say it is exhausting. I feel that living unrecovered with alcoholism is even more exhausting, except maybe didn't have the presence of mind to recognize it. It's totally worth it anyway, as you say. So the thing about getting people who are newer in recovery on the show is getting people who are newer in recovery on the show. I think people feel that they don't have anything to offer 
Maybe. I don't really know. I know that when I was relatively new in the program, I didn't feel I had anything to offer to other people. And as you say, I think that's not true. I think hearing the experience of somebody who's maybe three months ahead of you, a year ahead of you, can be really valuable. So again, if you're listening and you're a person who is relatively new in the program and you feel like you could put yourself out there and share a little bit of your story, a little bit of what you have found so far, what you're still struggling with, I think that's important to hear. What is it about the program you're not getting yet? What is it about the program that just seems so weird to you or you don't understand? Come on, drop me a line, give me a call. Say, yes, I will share my story, even though, or because, I'm only three months, six months, a year into the program. Because your experience will help someone like Greta. So thanks for writing. Thanks for the idea. Judy left us a voicemail. Hi, my name is Judy, and I just wanted to reach out and say thank you and express my gratitude for the work you do and let you know that I find your podcast to be such such an incredible tool that I'm able to post a podcast on any topic that I need. Sometimes I listen to it more than once and it's like having a meeting in my back pocket and when I need a little strength or a little comfort or a little guidance, I can pull the podcast and listen to it and take a moment for myself and center myself or shift my perspective to a healthier perspective. Find my compassion when I need it most and when I'm struggling to be in touch with it. And I, I've been in Erlenon for 12 plus years. And after I've listened to your podcast or an episode in particular, I will send it and share it with a sponsee or a fellow member in the program that I've spoken to that made an hour on call and this is the backup to a conversation we might have had. And I just also want to say how I'm grateful that you broaden the perspective that you include poetry, you include music, and because those are all aspects that those are all additional tools that we use to keep ourselves healthy. And it's all part of our healing journey and keeping our focus on ourselves. I wanted to make a music suggestion. My music suggestion is the song Waterfall. And the song, this one says it's by TLC, but I've heard Prince do a cover of it. And I find the lyrics to be especially powerful. And I thought I might just read just a, a little bit of it. A manly mother gazes out of her window, staring at a son that she just can't touch. If at any time he's in the jam, she'll be by his side, but he doesn't realize he hurts her so much. But all the praying just ain't helping at all, because he can't seem to keep himself out of trouble. So he goes out and he makes his money the best way he knows how. Another body laying cold in the gutter. Listen to me. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers in the lake that you used to. I know you're going to have it your way or nothing at all, but I think you're moving too fast. It goes on, and all the lyrics, one verse after another, is more powerful. 
I just wanted to share that with you because I haven't heard you cover it. Thank you, Judy. Thank you for all your kind words and sharing the podcast with other people. Because that's how people can find out about the podcast. The easiest way to share it, either take their phone, open up their podcast application, and find The Recovery Show if you know how to do that. Or just send them to our website, therecovery.show. So simple. We did use that song, Waterfalls, by TLC. We used it in episode 245, Consequences. It's not to say that we would never use it again, because it is a great song. I went back and listened to it. I was like, oh, yeah, this song's got a lot in it. So thank you for that suggestion and reminder. And if you want to listen to the song, you can go find it on your favorite streaming service, or you can go to the recovery.show slash 245 and play it there, along with a couple of other great songs about consequences. Nancy writes, I have been using your podcast as a substitute Al-Anon meeting for many months now. This show has been so helpful for me and my family as our recovery started in the midst of the pandemic with no in-person meetings. Our adult son has been sober and a member of AA after an intervention last November. We have weekly family therapy meetings over the phone with a professional, and the program is based on the principles of AA and Al-Anon. Our attendance in Al-Anon is heavily suggested, but I have not been inspired by any of the Zoom or phone meetings that I have found. Luckily, in-person is finally opening up in our area. But your podcast has been wonderful, and now I have several members of our family group listening. My daughter-in-law suggested episode 248, and I just finished it. I had read the five love languages before and found your experience so helpful. I'm very grateful for your service. Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Episode 248 was titled Love, Relationships, and Step 6. If you want to know what love, relationships, and Step 6 have to do with each other, go listen to the episode. Maybe again if you've heard it before. Sarah writes, Hi, Spencer. I just recently found your podcast after a tough weekend a few weeks back. I am an ACOA and currently married to, for 10 years, someone who would be classified as an alcoholic, however, differs from the, quotes, normal alcoholic that people generally picture. My spouse is a binge drinker. Frequency of drinking is not every day, every week, or sometimes every month. Time between binges can range anywhere from a week to several months, depending on what's going on in life. So someone dealing with the true alcoholic, that's in quotes, might laugh and say that they trade for my situation any day. The problem is that someone like my spouse flies under the radar because the binge episodes are forgotten since they aren't happening every day. Just recently, my spouse is recognizing the serious of the drinking. Before, it was always the excuse of, well, I don't drink every day. In fact, we don't even keep alcohol in the house unless there's a binge. So we forgive and forget. But typically, this type of drinking coincides with events like weddings, birthday parties, etc., times of great anxiety for my spouse. So it really puts a damper on the event and, of course, impacts me greatly. This most recent episode revolves around my birthday and a trip to see my family. I've been in and out of Al-Anon for several years, but have always continued to read and listen to any information that I can. Anyway, I found the podcast, and it has given me the comfort I needed at this time. That being said, I thought an episode about binge drinkers would be really helpful as I know I'm not the only one dealing with this type of drinking, especially since the pandemic, as I know many people are becoming these types of problem drinkers. Just a thought, and I would certainly be open to participating in any way that would be helpful. Sarah. Thanks, Sarah, for writing it. Normal alcoholic, true alcoholic. Those are tough terms, and I I understand that the problem becomes not as obvious I'm happy to hear that you have found Al-Anon because what I say to newcomers who are like, I'm not sure if my loved one is an alcoholic is 
if their drinking is affecting you, then Al-Anon can probably help. And you do belong here. Whether they've admitted they're an alcoholic, whether they look like an alcoholic, whatever that means, if you are affected by their drinking, then you are welcome in Al-Anon. I have heard members of AA say that one symptom, one test for being an alcoholic is when they take that first drink, they have no idea how many more drinks they're going to take. They might plan to only take one or two, but that almost never works for them. That seems to be one of the key, one of the key symptoms of alcoholism. One of the key measures of alcoholism is, can you predict how much you're going to drink when you start? I don't think that's the only symptom. That's the only way of recognizing it. But I think that may be a helpful one to think about applying for somebody whose binges are not frequent who maybe doesn't intend to go on a binge for however long it ends up being. It just happened. Yeah. Kim writes about episode 364, Fear of Abandonment. This was good to listen to, and it greatly resonated with me. My whole life I have been in relationships with emotionally unavailable people, just simply because of what I learned as a child. Since coming to Al-Anon, that has been changing. I'm so thankful for this show and all you do, Spencer. And I have to say, thanks to Shannon, who again, provided the bulk, the meat, the substance of that episode. Elizabeth sent us a voice share. Hi, Spencer. This is Elizabeth from France. I am responding about your call for remarks about fear of abandonment. Hope I'm not too late, but I heard this topic and was like, yep, that's me. It really became a moment of thinking about what are those fears. I'm also working on this subject for my fourth step. So all of this is coming up all at the same time, of course, higher power moment. During one of our Zoom meetings, a member shared November 4th, page 309 in One Day at a Time. And I just wanted to share this with everyone because it kind of hit a nerve for me and made me realize that for me, this is maybe more of the reasons why I have fear of abandonment or being left to, as I say, pick up the pieces from my qualifier. All right. So this is from November 4th, 309, one day at a time. An Al-Anon member once remarked that the main source of our unhappiness is that we ourselves don't know what we want. We think we're dissatisfied with what we have with the way that we live, and the way other people act towards us. He suggests that each person dig down deep to see what we really feel would bring us contentment. If this self-searching reveals only that we are disgruntled because we feel we deserve a better car, a bigger house, or more money, we must dig still deeper for the real cause. Is it envy of others? Is it our inability to enjoy fully what we do have? Do we, in defense of our own shortcomings, look for excuses to blame others? Today's reminder, I can find serenity only by rooting out my discontent. I must acknowledge to myself the real reasons why I react as I do. Am I doing my share? If not, my dissatisfaction 
may be due to unrecognized guilt. It is difficult for me to feel and express appreciation. I will try to develop a sense of gratitude. Do I expect others to behave according to my expectations? I will live and let live. And the quote is, it really adds up to this, that we're not satisfied with ourselves. And we can certainly do something about that. (sighs) So, that end quote just hit me with such a swing. It's almost like a slap upside the head. (laughs) Wake up! And really, just considering the fact that I do want to appreciate everything that I have in my life, all the things that I do every day, all the things that I don't have to do or have to deal with, the fact that I have electricity and water, those things I take so for granted. And I feel that it's one of those moments of being grateful and not letting those fears of abandonment, those fears of being left for what? I I don't know. For me, I do have those fears. So it's interesting to, to put those two things on either side of a balance and really realize that if I just look at my life one moment, one minute at a time, that fear cannot control my whole entire life. So that's my share for the day. Thanks for letting me share and put my ideas out there. I hope that you can continue to help sharing all of the world with all of us. It's such a great opportunity to listen to where I am and hearing all of these amazing shares from all over the world is just so inspiring. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for that reading and your reflection on it. Obviously, your share didn't get to me in time to add to episode 364. So here it is now. Craig also left a voicemail in response to the fear of abandonment episode. Hi, Spencer. This is Craig from Alberta. I just finished listening to the fear of abandonment episode for a third time. That topic has really resonated with me, and thank you, Shannon, for uh, suggesting it and being on the show with you. I have started a a new step for inventory, specifically a fear inventory, and what I've discovered is many of my traits that I have developed growing up in alcoholism come back to fear of abandonment. And I've identified some experiences when I was quite young related to my uh, my mother, who was the uh, first alcoholic in my life. And then over time, seeing how other events with uh, my father and his drinking, and then later in life, my spouse, that those fears have continued to drive my reactions. When I heard Shannon and other listeners who had called in, talk about abandoning myself. And it really resonated with me because that's what I've come to recognize is how much I've abandoned myself in the people-pleasing, trying to be perfect, the rules for guys that you don't talk, don't tell, don't feel. And the only acceptable emotion for any man to show is anger. And I have to say that the program and having 
been in Al-Anon and working at it for the last three years has been transformational. It really is uh, an incredible program. It took me over 50 years to get here, and I keep asking myself, why did it take so long? I had started in Al-Anon for a few meetings a decade earlier, but wasn't ready. I, I was very much consumed with anger and resentment and thought it was my father's problem because it was his drinking at that time. And so just thank you to you and Shannon and the other listeners who contributed on this topic of fear of abandonment. It is such an important topic that uh, we talk about and that we talk about these fears because when we don't talk about this fears, when we keep them secrets, we are only as sick as our secrets. So thank you again for doing this podcast and keep well. Bye. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for calling. Alina sent us shares on authority and responsibility and on laughter. Hi, this is Alina. I was going to share on episode number 120, which was about authority and responsibility. I think you referenced like concepts six and seven. I don't know too much about the concepts in Al-Anon quite yet. I have read through them, but haven't really had to chance to break them down or anything like that. So this was a good eye-opener, and it just proves to me that, you know, these concepts can help me with day-to-day life as well as just things to deal with work and personal stuff as well. One of the questions in the overview was, do you have trouble letting go of responsibility and do you take on too much? I can definitely relate to both of those things. I guess as far as letting go of responsibility, I never really looked at it as not willing to let go of my responsibilities. I just feel like, especially at work, I feel like my position as a supervisor and lead role in my field, I feel I'm responsible for the day-to-day functioning of a certain department and how things run and I'm on a time schedule. Basically, everything's allotted a certain amount of time and we have to get things done. And then, of course, there's lunches that are involved that have to work in coordination with everything because there's several people and <clears throat> and we all don't have a you know lunch together and our industry is very busy. So there's a process for the day, kind of like a timeline, but it's my responsibility to make sure everything runs smoothly and one of the things that I always deal with when I have my annual review, not so much my supervisors, but basically my boss will always tell me that I'm too motherly, I do way too much, and it's to a fault, and that I don't give other people the opportunity to do things. I guess one thing that I have to realize when he says that is, in my mind, I realize now that I should let other people do it, and if they make mistakes or don't do it right or anything like that. I can show them the correct way, but if they still don't get it, then it's not my responsibility. It's not part of me, you know, what their task capabilities are. I do have a license in my field and I went to school for it and I work hard and I'm always willing to show and give back to other people that are starting out in the field. And I really think that's really important. I don't know. It's with my boss. I feel like he says that in one aspect and then in the next breath or the next day, he'll be like, why is this person responsible for this? Or why did this person job duty today? And why are we letting this person do this? I don't want that person doing this ever again. And of course, memos go out and everything's adjusted. And 
the responsibility gets shifted again. So it's contradictory as far as what he says, but I can't control how other people manage or how they function on a day-to-day. I can only take responsibility for myself. I do like this topic. The other aspects, do I take on way too much? And I think that I used to do way too much. And now I realize that it can be overwhelming, not only with work, but if I take too much on in my personal life and too much volunteer work and not enough time to take care of myself, I can get in a really like frustrated place. And my yeses aren't really genuine. They're yes, because I want to people please and not yes, because I really want to do something. And then I end up beating myself up later because I'm tired or aggravated. I do have to thank Al-Anon for that, just teaching me to step back maybe a little bit, letting other people do things in their own time, in their own way. I really like this topic. Thank you for letting me share. I wanted to share on episode 121, um, which was about laughter. I'm suffering from some sinus allergy things. I'm going to sound a little off and I can laugh at that. It was talking about coming to the meeting and if I had experienced people laughing in the meeting and how did that make me feel. I don't really recall any of that in the beginning when I first came into the meetings. I don't know. I just couldn't fully concentrate. I was hearing what people were saying, but if people were laughing and interacting, I don't really recall that, but they probably were. I don't remember anything like significant standing out, but I do remember um, people sharing about joy and experiencing like positive good days, whether they're their qualifiers were drinking, using, or not. And that to me was like a totally different concept. Like I said, I had a lot of codependency issues coming into the program and I still feel they're not resolved in my opinion for me. And they've gotten a a lot better, but I still feel like I can fall into those thoughts and character defects from time to time, just depending, like I'll get a trigger. And it's, it happened Actually, this past week, it happened to me actually twice, but I didn't react on it. I paused. I held on to it as far as I did share with my sponsor and another Al-Anon friend, and that was basically it. I just waited for it to pass, and it did. In a way, I'm grateful that I didn't say anything because it could have just infused into an argument or something like that, but I definitely don't want it to keep happening, so that to me is like, how do I avoid that as well. As far as laughter goes, it's definitely some good medicine when you're not feeling good, but it is hard to find that type of humor or or just laughing at something when you're feeling a certain way. But I do appreciate the topic and I think that a lot of people in the meetings have found this as well. So I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Alina. Thanks for sharing. Our last song is Hailing, that's H-A-Y-L-I-N-G, by F.C. Kahuna. Again, you can listen to this at therecovery.show slash 365. Krista suggested this one. She writes, It reminded me to focus on living in the moment and trusting my higher power versus living in fear. Again, totally appropriate for practicing these principles in all our affairs. All of the words in the song which are repeated several times along with, of course, the wonderful music. Don't think about all those things you fear. Just be glad to be here. Seems like you could use that as meditation.
Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.